Hey guys, welcome back to Warhammer Wookies with Richard and Roman. Hello everyone. <laughs> um, so this is our second go at recording um, today. So hopefully, fingers crossed, everything works this time. Um, technically, and, uh, yeah, exactly. And, and before that, Richard just said that like I'm I'm saying hello everyone in the same type of voice every time. Mm-hmm. So I decided that. Even though they're recording second time today, or at least we're trying to record second time today, I still should stay consistent and say hello everyone in the same manner. Yeah, it makes everyone know that they've come to the right place. And hopefully <laughs> they hear that hello everyone and then they can settle in and listen to the podcast. Next time I can, I can tell hello everyone with my perfect Russian, Russian accent, like being, <laughs> like, being a mobster that, who, took, <laughs> who took Richard. Like. <laughs> so... Um, the big news that's happened today is that Games Workshop have released the schedule for codexes for the rest of the year. And the first two codexes um, for the new year have been sort of semi-leaked. Um, so the ones that are coming out in the new year are Dark Angels and a Xenos codex. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know what Xenos codex, um, but the ones for, that are coming out for the rest of this year are Blood Angels, Space Wolves, Death Watch, and Death Guard. Um, so basically all the power armor for the Imperials will be available. Well, actually, not, not exactly all the power armor, because first, Custodians also have a power armor. Well, they have super power armor, though. It's artificer armor, so it's even better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so that, that, that's the first thing. And uh, second one, is it really old Space Marines chapters? I suppose there's Grey Knights as well, uh, but a bit like Custodians, they're kind of in their own box, you know? They're a very mm-hmm. different army to the others. Yeah, and everyone else will have. Uh, but I, but as for chaos, you're going to have. That means for chaos, you're going to have only on the death guard. Yeah, I know. And unfortunately, uh, well, for now, that's it. Unfortunately for me, death guard are probably the legion I have the least interest in. So uh, I won't be using any of those uh, most likely. Um, but uh, fingers crossed for a chaos space marine book coming relatively soon. But I understand um, the first codex coming out after all this code after all this power armor being. Uh, Xenos, because they, mm-hmm. they, they, we need to have stuff that isn't just Space Marines. Um, they're great, and they are the, the poster boys, but they are not the only thing in 40k. Sisters of Battle, they have power armor as well. Yeah, I suppose you could count those as well. I guess I put them in the same boxes, because so these um, Grey Knights are not drawing from that core Space Marine rule set, which brings us nicely on to uh, how the Dark Angels, Space Wars, and Blood Angels um, codexes have been designed. They've gone back to a supplement design rather than having their own book. Um, yeah, yeah. Guys, as, as you probably remember, in 8th edition, all of those guys, all those additional chapters, they actually had their own codex books. Uh, but then uh, after the release of Space Marine Codex, we started to get them as supplements. So we got uh, Ultramarine supplement first, then we got a supplement for Vice Cars. Actually, it was, they were released at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then a little bit later on, we had Salamanders and... Uh, Imperial Fist and um, Iron Hands. And Raven Guard as well. And yeah. Raven Guard as well. Yeah. Um, Actually, and... Raven Guard, that's something that you're not going to have as well. And, uh, like... Well, they'll be in the main Codex book. So the, the important thing to understand here from like a lore perspective, why Dark Angels, Space Wars, and Blood Angels um, were historically given their own books is that there's um, a divergence in how chapters are organized. You have Codex chapters, and then you have non-compliant chapters. Um, so when 
many, many years ago when codexes first started being a thing, there was just a Space Marines codex mm -hmm. and all the Space Marines were from there. But if you look into the way the chapters are organized, um, everyone apart from Blood Angels, Dark Angels and Space Wolves follow the rules laid down by Rebute Gulliman. Mm -hmm. And um, those, for those three chapters, for various reasons, the Blood Angels, because they have the affliction of the Black Rage and some of them go crazy, have to have um, special companies just for their crazy guys. Um, Dark Angels um, have this obsession with hunting fallen, uh, which are Dark Angels that turn to chaos. Um, so they have Death, uh, the um, Death Wing and the Raven Wing, who... Um, just are dedicated to to that um and then mm -hmm. you have the space wolves who uh lehman russ read rebute gilliman's book and went no nah, not for me i'll do my own <laughs> thing thank you very much what's that a thousand space marines no there's nowhere near enough i want tens of thousands well as for blood angels well i, I honestly think that uh, they just need a doctor i mean yeah. like all the all this rage finney is like I, it it shouldn't be the case in in forty first millennium. It's like yeah, yeah. It just doesn't work. You just you, you need to fix yourself. Come on, some guys, good sort take of, yourself together. Some good psychiatry, maybe. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, like that. That's a trauma. They lost their prime arc. So now. <laughs> yeah. So those three um, chapters were obviously the first to get supplements, and then they got their own books and were really separated out from Space Marines. Mm -hmm. And for me, this. Um, this change of bringing them back to supplements, it makes sense for a couple of reasons. Now um, we've seen um, with the codexes are a lot bigger and thicker than they were. So it's quite, so what is now a supplement would have been a full codex book before anyway. Um, and they're just cutting out the units that are going between all of the space Marines, which is about 90% mm -hmm. of them anyway. Uh, and then that allows, um, I think for a, a lot more internal balance between the space Marines, the various types of space Marines. Um, because what happened in the eighth was Space Marines came out and they were really, really good to begin with, and they dropped off a little bit, and then they got a little bit of a boost, and then they got their new codex and became really powerful. Whereas Dark Angels, Blood Angels, and Space Wolves kind of were in limbo for a long time and not being as good as the mm -hmm. others. And there's no real reason for that because they are essentially the same army with some different selections for elites and fast, attack, fast attacks and um, HQs. Um, so yeah, I think bringing it all back together um, and then having these sort of individual things um, kind of gets more of a cohesive whole. And hopefully it'll mean that all the Space Marines are a sort of similar sort of level. So all the different people who love their different chapters will be happy and people playing at Space Marines will, <laughs> will know what to expect as well. Well, in general, I would say that I agree, especially considering the fact that, mo like, uh, that most of those new codex supplements, actually, for the chapters that haven't been feeling really good uh, before, mm -hmm. for example, Blood Angels, uh, like during the whole eighth edition, I guess, or at least for the last like half of the year, probably year I'd, even. I'd say the entire uh, edition. Only... Yeah, basically, yeah, basically the whole edition, uh, like. Uh, what what you usually saw from from Blood Angels is Blood Angels Smash Captains. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much it. And usually it's like Blood Angels Smash Captains together with guards, or with guards and knights, or well, like in oh, general, just those Smash Captains and nothing else. Yeah, or Blood Angels Smash Captains being put in to other Space Marine armies because they had the best fighty characters. I mean, Blood Angels of the three, yeah, I'd exactly. say, I'd say are the ones. Um, that have been the most competitive. Um, if you are a Blood Angels player, you should check out a guy called Stephen Box. 
he runs a, a company called Vanguard Tactics that is a paid service. Um, but he also does a free podcast, which is really, really good. And it's easy to remember because it's called the Competitive 40K Podcast. He was the first one to actually name his Competitive <laughs> 40K Podcast, just the Competitive 40K Podcast. And he's had some great uh, success with Blood Angels, um, but they definitely have been more of a struggle to play with than those core um, Codex compliant chapters like uh, Imperial Fists and Ultramarines, etc. that were drawing from that main, that main Codex. Um, so I think yeah. this, is a and, good, uh, this is a good move. Yeah, and, and then for example, Space Wolves, they just been like they've just broken like the whole eighth edition as well. Yeah, they just, they've been terrible. It was it it was like honestly guys, like I, I love models. Models of Space Wolves, they're just great. Like all those cloths and wolf ants and like guys riding some crazy like yeah, some crazy vehicles on wolves again. Like it, it's all great. I love it. And uh, I definitely love the lore. The lore is great as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the problem is that when you go to tournaments and if you lose your first three games, then you will appear on a wolf ranch where it's only Space Wolves players and yeah. no one else. Yeah. Um, uh, the last LGT that we were able to go to um, because of everything being delayed um, last year was the last one that actually, actually happened. Um, as far as I could see, out of God knows how many players, hundreds of players, there was one person who had a pure Space Wars army, and he came dead last, I think. He lost all, all of his games, um, which is real sad, because he's hugely painted models, and he obviously loved his Space Wars, but he put the work mm-hmm. in to making the best army he could, but in a competitive scenario, they just couldn't cut the mustard, even with someone who was that dedicated to the faction. Exactly. The, the problem is that actually, like, you know, like every army, the, if, as you m- mentioned many times during this podcast, usually every army has something and that yeah. something usually can help you to win the game. Unfortunately, yeah. Space Wolves don't have anything, like yeah. literally nothing in their codex is worth mentioning and uh, none, of the, none of, the, of their models actually worth, in my opinion, at least uh, taken in the battlefield because... They just don't work. I mean, which is which is anything. which is crazy when you think about it. They have two really unique units in the Wolf and, and the Wolf Riders. That there's nothing really like that in any other Space Marine book. I guess Wolf and are kind of like possessed in the way they work, but there but they there should be room there to make a codex built around those two units. Like it can't be that much design work to make those two units amazing, you know. And they have been in the past in in previous editions of the game. They were both really really powerful units. Um, but yeah, hopefully yeah, with this this new exactly. base, uh, hopefully with this new base of all being on that one codex, we can have a nice balance between the Space Marine armies. I mean, there's always going to be one that's better than the other. That's just the nature of game design. But hopefully, they'll be even enough <laughs> that a Space Force player playing against an Octarines player won't feel like he's lost the game at the list design phase. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's hope, uh, fingers crossed, I really hope to see some uh, some Space Wolves outside of their Space Wolves wagon. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would definitely love to see Space Wolves players actually winning the tournaments. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Their cool models on the table. Yeah. Uh, and again, in my opinion, I don't see any problems of fixing Space Wolves. Uh, because as, as you just mentioned, like Wolfens, for example, they work mm-hmm. pretty well. Like, Basically, the only thing that you need to do in, in order for Wolfen to work is just take them from the deep strike, uh, nine in charge, and give them some special ability to allow them to turn one of their dices six. Yeah, give them an ability and, to charge 
front when they come in from reserve would be huge. Like, exactly, exactly. And and basically that's that's all you need. I mean, you just yeah. come from the reserve and then you charge and then you kill everything. Mm. That already will fix many problems that space wolves from which space will suffer at the moment. Yeah. Uh, so again, fingers crossed. We both hope to see some space wolves player uh, coming back to life. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but you actually mentioned uh, Def um, uh, Def Def Guard. I I yeah. always confuse Def Guard and Def Watch. I understand that they are uh, completely two different things. Game search I really like the word death. So um, I mean, you have death company as well in Blood Angels. So yeah, and there, yeah, death is a very common word. So it's easy to get confused between the various versions of death that the 40k universe presents. Yeah, and actually, I kind of surprised why why we why they announced uh, this uh, codex supplementary or co or even co the whole codex. Yeah, full codex. For whole death codex. Uh, yeah, for the for the guard, not yeah. the company. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of surprised why, why they did that because, in my opinion, uh, Death Guard is not the army that actually suffers a lot at the moment. I mean, they're very, very good. Uh, they're already very, very good. Exactly. It's like, why do you need to have a codex for them right now when there's like many chaos armies which actually suffer a lot and yeah. uh, from I guess like and uh, really struggle to fight against Space Marines? Why you don't improve them first? Well. I mean, I think part of it is like a popularity contest, right? Death Guard, um, a, a very, very popular faction. Um, I think of all of the legions, they're probably the most popular, um, mm -hmm. or at least the one you see the most. Partly that's because they are have been very good, but also people really like Nurgle as a concept, um, uh, and the, that's fine. I mean, it's not it's not my legion of choice. Um, it's probably the one that I like the least. I have all of the Chaos Legions, but I still think they're pretty <laughs> cool. Um, so I won't be using this book, and I'll be keeping my fingers crossed for a good um, Chaos Space Marines core codex, um, or even better would be Emperor's Children getting their own book or a supplement um, that can mean that my Emperor's Children can be taken to the same sort of competitive level of Death Guard. I don't think they're that far behind right now, to be perfectly honest, but having your own dedicated book, even a supplement, allows them to bring in those more unique units and more unique special rules that can really take an army to the next level. Guys, whatever you just heard from Richard, that's all, nah, because we both know why it's, what's the, 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 the real reasoning behind having a, uh, an Emperor's Children Codex, because that's, something that all Emperor's Children people want right now and like all the prey to have it is their own Primark finally. Oh, That's what absolutely. you want. <laughs> I mean, Fulgrim has been teased for such a long time now. Um, it's just about time that they they released a model for him to be perfectly honest. I mean, Death Guard and Thousand Sons <laughs> have had their Primark for ages and it's about time that World Eaters and Sanesh Emperor's children can bring the balance back and have a Primarch of each of the gods. Um, because who doesn't want to see those models? Let's be honest. Even if you don't think you want to see those models, right? Yeah, I, I, of course I want to see that model. But <laughs> to be honest, like you chaos people, you already have two Primarchs at the moment. You have Martarian and <sighs> you have Magnus. Give us one. Give us the Wolf King, finally. Give us yeah. the Wolf King. I want to see Wolf King fighting Magnus, how it was in the books. Yeah, I actually completely agree with you, to be honest. like, I, I think it's shocking how long they've taken to release all the Primarchs. Um, 
it actually shows, I mean, a lot of people say that Games Workshop is just in it for the money, but if that was the case, they would just be slapping out primate model after primate model after primate model, because people who play the faction will buy them. People who play Imperium or Chaos and can possibly take it will, will buy them. People who just want to paint the thing will just buy it. If they were there to just make money, they'd just be pushing these models out. And um, But they want a Primark being released to be a big event. And I, I kind of, I completely understand that. But I do think it's been a long time since we've seen one. And it's about time that the lawyer has got a second Primark. I, I actually do agree with that. Yeah, I mean, even though we, we have the loyalists, uh, we have uh, really cool Forge Vault models. Mm -hmm. uh, for example, Gilliman, which in my opinion is way, way, way better version than the Gilliman that we have in uh, from the games workshop. Like, yeah, I kind of is absolutely like you know, like uh, the Gilliman that the games from the Gilliman that you get from games workshop is like a Gilliman of person who smokes a lot, <laughs> and uh, like the, the proper Gilliman is you can can get like a, the Gilliman of healthy man. Yeah, it's a Gilliman from Forge World. <laughs> Wait, no, he's ten thousand years old now, so he probably isn't looking as good shape as he was in the in the Horus Heresy. Yeah, I mean, like totally agree. Like ten thousand years, like who, look at me after ten thousand years. Like, what will happen to me? Like nobody knows. Yeah, and I think Gilliman, just I mean, be he's still alive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So yeah, prob prob yeah. So with all this new Space Ring stuff coming out, and with where uh, me and Roman are um, with our own armies right now. I thought it'd be really interesting to talk about the second step of um, coming into a new edition. We've talked a lot about how you enter uh, a new edition. So we're in ninth, but we've been in ninth edition now for quite a while. I'd imagine most people listening to this have had a, at least a one game on the belt, if not hopefully quite a few. I know it's more difficult in some countries than others, but we've managed, we've been quite lucky here in Sweden um, and we've been able to play quite a lot. And we've taken our armies in uh, well, I'd say Roman's gone a completely different direction and I've gone into more refining what I was playing with. Um, so we have two kind of different perspectives. And this is something that the all these Space Marine players who are going to be getting these new books really need to think about um, now is what are you playing with, what is working, and what's going to be even better, and what you're going to have to cut out with the new codex, and now that you know more about the edition. So I'm going to hand over to Roman now, and I want him to have... A long chat about his ad mech and where he is with them and what he thinks he's where he thinks he's going to end up. Well, that's actually a pretty good question where I'm going to end up because I have no clue. I mean, like by the moment that they're going to have any tournaments, and it looks like the closest one is going to happen in May next year, and looks like that's going to be LGT because because you know that stuff. I mean, like Corona is not going to be over like tomorrow, so yeah. I really doubt I mean, that going maybe to we'll get. Tournaments. Maybe we'll manage to get one here in Sweden, but it's looking less and less likely, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, and uh, and in December we're going to have another points change. So, like, uh, to be honest, right now I'm kind of scared to buy new stuff uh, because if I do, and uh, if I buy new things, and then I, if I play around them, and then I get used to them, then in December all of a sudden I haven't had any tournaments, but points will still change, and like, okay, my list doesn't work anymore. Uh, so uh, what I'm trying to do at the moment is I'm trying to look at the builds that people actually like trying to make and understand where like the, the biggest parts and uh, where my strongest parts of the army lies. And so far, so far, it looks like my admec is migrating super fast from being a uh, uh, kind of elite army and kind of castle army to, towards a uh, horde army instead. 
Yeah. Uh, so for the last few games that me and Richard had, I actually played, uh, basically I, I can call it a vanguard spam. So I had 60, 61 guards uh, with assault, with assault weapons, uh, assault rifles, uh, something like raging carbine rifles, something like that. Uh, with assault three shots, uh, strength, strength four, uh, no minus, and if you roll a six as a wound, then it, then it wounds, then it has two wounds instead of one, uh, two damage instead of one. And uh, it's actually quite different from what I get used to playing, because uh, when you play castle, you don't really want to move. Or even if you move, you move really slowly because you always have like robots, for example, who just stick to one place and they just can't move anymore uh, because you changed the protocol. Uh, so robots, for you, for those people who don't know, they have three different types of protocols and they can change the protocols and they get additional abilities. With one protocol, you're, you have more defense, you have plus one to your uh, normal save and you to eat and to your monocle save. Uh, the shooting protocol, you shoot uh, double, uh, I mean, double the times that you have on your weapon. And then there is a fight protocol where you fight double amount of times that you have attacks. Uh, so usually what you do, you change the protocol immediately and then you stick. You stick to that place, you try to guard the robots and robots trying to kill everything that, that they see. Right now it looks like it's not the case anymore. Right now Admir Karmi became like so mobile and uh, it has so many units. But for example, today I had 60, 61 guards and I lost 58 of them, I think. I had only two left by the end of the game. Uh, but why did it happen? Because basically now one guard is more like guardsman uh, for Imperial Guard. You, you bring a lot of them on the battle table, but then they all die. So what you're looking at is, uh, I mean, like in my particular scenario, what I'm looking at is that my army changed so drastically that I'm just trying to like to find a way how to how to play it, and um, uh, I, I would say for me it's really difficult uh, because it's just like a lot of experiments. And uh, to be honest, I would like to advise something to to those people who who face the same problem. For example, if they are old space marine stuff, uh, but unfortunately nothing comes to my mind extend of, ex except of just try to experiment and build new builds and proxy your models. Yeah, but like you've had quite a big change, really, because when if people listen back to earlier podcasts, they'll hear you being quite negative about EdMac, and you were quite apprehensive with all of the changes, I would say, and you were kind of uh, committed to trying for a knight's army and seeing mm -hmm. how far you could push that. But I think you found pretty quickly that it was hard to play the missions with knights, um, yeah. and that actually the EdMac stuff, the reason it's been that it's gone up in points so much is because it is really good at playing the mission now in ninth edition. Yeah, exactly. And like, uh, I love playing knights, and I think that it's really cool that you can kill uh, the whole army of your opponent by just losing like one or two models. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, even if you just lose one or two models and you have everything else on, on, the, on the battle table, you still will lose because for knights, it's really difficult to earn the points. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm, I'm really looking forward for a proper codex with proper missions for knights. Yeah. Because at the moment, in my in my opinion, it's just not possible to win a tournament game with knights in no. the current circumstances. Because how? I mean, like you can't hold that many objectives. As for example, I can imagine myself as a knight player playing against myself as an knight player. Okay, knights probably will kill everything. They will kill robots first turn. Mm -hmm. 
like uh, for example, like Castella Knight, he will just eliminate robots and probably one of my Scorpius as well. But what next? I'm going to have like the whole board flooded with uh, the vanguards for holding objectives. Yeah, and, and they're all uh, objectives secured, players. right? So the knights yeah. are not going to be able to stop them from stealing the objectives from them. Exactly. Yeah. So what knights is, is going to do in this case? Well, knights will basically will need to shoot everything into them. But the problem is that in many cases, objectives are inside of the buildings. So I'm, if I'm sitting in that building, knights can't like properly shoot at me. Yeah. Uh, or if, if I'm sitting behind the building, knights can shoot at me as well. Yeah. And then I can like raise the banner or like use any other mission which allows me to earn points without shooting. And yeah. even if by the end of the game knights will be lucky and they kill everyone, although I I honestly think that it's kind of impossible because like sixty one guards like how are you going to kill all of them? Yeah. Uh, like in the whole knights army, there is basically like one gun, uh, which is average Gatling cannon that does a lot of shooting. Nothing else can do that that many shots. And so basically, okay, you shoot like 14 shots and uh, let's say that you hit with like with all of them and uh, you wound with pretty much all of them and you kill one unit of one guard. Okay, that means I have five more units uh, yeah. at least uh, yeah. and pro probably more. Uh, so what are you going to do next? Yeah. Next turn you will kill another unit. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I think like I've kind of had a similar um sort of realization I, when i went into a ninth edition i mean i was playing a similar i was planning to play a very similar army to how i was playing at the end of eighth with uh, lots of noise marines with the relic of re-rolling um wounds and the uh, demon prince gives them re-roll hits and some psych support to make them even better stratagems make them really over the top powerful at shooting um, and the thing is in eighth edition particularly if you're playing itc missions those sorts of um, very heavy shooting armies could do really well because you could only need to hold one objective and then just shoot your opponent, mm -hmm. make sure you get kill more every single turn. There were secondaries that were easy to pick for killing for killing things and quite easy to score um, max secondaries and then just win on killing one more unit than your opponent every single turn. But now um, you have to hold so uh, you have to hold so many objectives because if you're opponent holds more objectives than you, then they're going to get 15 points a turn, which is a lot of points. Uh, out of a maximum of 100, that's a serious amount of points. And um, uh, so what I, and I found also that I was really hard for me to do any secondaries. And as much as cultists now are six points a model, so you're looking at 60 points for one unit, I'm taking two units because it just gives me much more options to have units that are more throwaway that can do things like deploy scramblers or raise banners and i can throw them forward and steal objectives or just take an objective for the turn and make my opponent shoot them instead of my tasty stuff and the actual real nice outcome of that was i had to drop one of my rhinos so i had three units of noise marines and two are in rhinos and then one didn't have a rhino i was like oh what do i do with these and someone i uh, was talking to about chaos um in the best in faction um uh, Discord group said, "Oh, I've been outflanking one unit, and that's actually really, really useful um, because it means that, like, turn two or turn three, when there's a space for them to come in, I have this um, 
extra unit of noise marines, the first two kind of do the job that I need them to do over the first couple of turns. And then turn two or three, I can then supplement that with this third unit that comes in from reserves, hopefully gets onto an objective, but even if it doesn't, it's like more oppressive firepower into a really tactical part of the battlefield. Um, so I'm finding it much easier to take lots of areas of the battlefield um, by taking mm. cultists, which are a worse unit on paper than a rhino for my noise marines. So it's actually opened up a lot more tactical avenues for me. Um, and uh, it's given me so much more space to play with the secondaries. Um, I've also been experimenting with uh, putting um, not only the noise marines and two units of cultists in reserve, but the two um, assistants that come with the Dark Apostle um, for 10 points into reserve as well. Um, the thing with them is that there's only two models in the unit um, and they're only one power level. So if you're putting something in for reserves, they're basically going in there for free. Um, and the duck also doesn't really need the help. I mean, the main thing he's there for is the relic, which is goes off automatically. And all of his other prayers go off on a three plus, which isn't that hard to roll. Um, and they, because there's only two models, they can easily get into my opponent's backfield. And they don't present any threat. They're toughness three. They have one attack. They have no armor save. Um, but they can just pop up anywhere I need them on the battlefield and be like, okay, I'm here now. Uh, deploy scramblers in my opponent's backfield. Or, oh, uh, yeah, you've got that banner that's by the edge. Okay, I'll just pop those on there, take the banner down. Like the, that actually 10 point unit that's because it's so small is actually really powerful. Yeah, and actually, I, I, I want to mention that one thing that we kind of mentioned already, but like we just went through it, like without actually pointing direct attention to it. Guys, ninth edition is not, not about killing stuff. I mean, no. killing stuff is really good, obviously, and it gives you a nice feeling when you kill a lot of things uh, from your opponent's army, but it's mostly about stealing, opponent, stealing objectives from your opponent. For example, yeah. if you take an objective and you raise a banner, or uh, if you just hold objective, basically the main goal is going to be not just kill the opponent who is holding the objective, but still objective that might be taken yeah. and then take it yourself. So it's like before that, for example, in my edition, I didn't really concentrate on, on holding objectives because I didn't have to. I just could like kill everything that the opponent has. And uh, if I kill enough, then it's a game. I mean, at some point, I'm going to win just because my opponent doesn't have anything on the board. But now, uh, you really need to think about how you're going to steal and then hold the objective that the opponent had before. So all this idea of having like reserves and uh, deploy part of the army on, on the second or third turn, that's actually like that's how the edition works. Uh, so this time, for example, I deployed my whole army uh, in the beginning of the game. But actually, I think that I probably should hold like half of my army, especially half of the vanguards, and then deploy them like piece by piece uh, during the whole day, during the whole game. So I could hold more objectives and uh, potentially even counter counter deploy uh, against your deployment as well. Yeah. Yeah. And no, I, didn't do. I think that's a it's a really important thing to experiment with. I mean, you might find that actually um, you do want all your stuff on the board. Um, depending on your build i think there are certain armies that are like tau for instance that will benefit from starting with everything on the board but even if you're 99 percent sure that that's the way you want to play definitely experiment with a couple of games putting a few different things in reserves and see all the tactical options that opens up um being able with my two units of cultists and my one unit of um dark apostle assistance to just know that i'm going to get deploy scramblers like that's 10 points i'm going to get every single game 
because I can put one unit of cultists into my backfield, one unit of cultists into the midfield, and then the the assistants into my opponent's backfield, and just pump, 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 just displace Grambus with all of them, and then there we are, 10, 10 victory points. And I think like what Roman was saying about the objectives, like taking them, is so important. Uh, you have to remember that um, like previously, you've always scored objectives at the end of your turn, but now the fact you score them at the start of your turn completely changes the dynamic. It's very, very mm-hmm. easy, I think, with a smaller board and with things like Rhinos being more recently priced and like lots of, there's lots of mobility in the game. It's really easy to have five objectives on the board, go first and put three units on objectives and go, okay, cool, I have three objectives, that's 15 points. But it's not because your opponent is then going to respond by taking out your units to try and minimize the number of objectives you have to stop you from scoring 15 points. And that's how you need to think about assigning your firepower. Um, It's not just, right, what's the scariest thing on the board? I need to kill that. Yes, that's something you have to bear in mind. But also, like, that unit of five guys that's on that objective there, that means that my opponent is going to score 15 points next turn because he's holding more objectives than me. They have to die. And they're an easy target to get rid of. Kill them. Yeah. And uh, another cool thing that I no- that I noticed today as well. So today was the first time ever I played uh, Archaecopter, which is basically a flyer, a new flyer from Admech Army, which looks like a Final Fantasy helicopter. Yeah, it's and, great. Uh, in, I like it. Yeah, and in my in my in my opinion, actually, what it, it, it is a Final Fantasy helicopter. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, what you need to pay attention to that some of the rules that you probably got used to because you've been using some units from other army, uh, even even though the rules look kind of same, they are not the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, uh, there is an elder bomb- bomber that actually can throw the bombs on uh, mostly mo- mostly into infantry. Basically, yep. you roll for each model, and when you roll, uh, you roll d6. And then you're all four or more, that model receives a mortal wound. So with the, uh, with, but, the with the Dark Outer one, the Void Raven Bomber, it's actually a two plus. Uh, two plus? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so for, for my bomber, for, for helicopter from Final Fantasy, uh, it's from four, four, four plus. But you can use those bombs infinitely. Yeah, which is so different. Like the, the Void Raven is very reliable because it's on a two up. So you, you, you I mean, you're going to kill probably all 10 models in the unit you might roll a couple of ones but like that's you're, you're gonna kill a lot of models whereas the admec one you're looking at killing maybe 50 percent remember i'm super lucky to get lucky today and mm-hmm. killed like eight models from units twice eight models yeah yeah um but it's um it's a completely different dynamic because yes it's only 50 percent chance instead of almost guaranteed but you can keep doing it throughout the game which means that model is a threat consistently and also it has a stratagem which is very annoying yeah, the stratagem, I, I, I totally agree, it's really annoying. And I actually think that actually saved, saved me the game today. Uh, so it disables, the, uh, for one CP, you can disable the auras of, uh, of your opponent's uh, HQs, uh, auras such as reroll once, or like yeah, whatever, like six inches from your commander, yeah. the models in your army will get some benefits. All of those auras will be disabled for just one CP. And yeah. I think that's actually it's great, because basically like reroll once, uh, in Richard's army of noise marines, I think like disabling that ability is a huge thing. Yeah, I think particularly um, it's particularly useful against noise marines because noise marines, when they die, get to shoot. Um, so 
Um, I buff them up, put my characters in range, give them reroll hits and reroll wounds. And then Roman flies in the helicopter and goes, hey, you're that reroll hits and reroll wounds. So you don't have that anymore. And now I'm going to shoot all your noise marines. And they shoot back at me, but without the reroll hits and wounds, they are nowhere near as effective. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's that's why I would definitely advise you to not not probably buy the models. I still against buying models like, until we have like more or less stable meta. Uh, but I would advise you to proxy them. Yeah. I mean, proxy models always work. Yeah. You can proxy them. You can experiment on them. If you have enough models in general, uh, it's still fine. And you yeah. can try to play a horde army. For example, I don't have that many vanguards, uh, but I just proxy them with guardsmen. I, I, I do think with the flyer, I think there's a, I mean, there's three different versions of it. If you're careful and you magnetize it so you can take three different versions, there's almost certainly one that's going to settle in a good place after all the points updates. And it's mm -hmm. a beautiful model as well, so you can have a good time uh, painting it. So I think that actually that's one I would say, uh, if you want it, then yeah, sure, buy it. If you want to own that model, then you want to own it, right? So mm -hmm. you want to paint it, and then it's very, very good right now. And even if it goes up in points, I think it's still going to be a really useful tool. And there's, as I said, there's three versions, so one of them is probably going to be usable. Yeah, uh, but, I, but I'm still really against of buying the whole list, uh, the yeah. whole good, good list that, oh, yeah. that you find on the internet. Absolutely. Like, guys, don't do it. Like, yeah. Play it around. Yeah. Don't yeah, play around. Uh, yeah. Don't go out and spend like two hundred pounds and buy a whole new army, and only to be disappointed in December when the points completely change and it's not viable anymore. Yeah, exactly. When it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> actually, I remember that uh, when they changed the points for knights, and actually when they, when they just changed points for Admech uh, in ninth edition, I was so disappointed. That, like, how now I'm going to play it? And uh, well, looks like I'm not going to play the same the same army that they had uh, that they had before. I mean, like many models need to be replaced. Uh, for example, the robots they probably need to go away. I probably need to pick something else. Probably need to pick chickens instead. Uh, there are two versions of chickens. One version of chicken is uh, close combat. Another version of chickens is uh, uh, shooty. Yeah. Uh, in fact, they're not they're not called chickens. They called as you know as I mentioned before. They called iron strider. And there is a, I tried the Balistrazi and I tried their something else, mm. uh, but they look like chickens. That's why yeah. call, everybody calls them chickens. Yeah. Uh, so and, like, uh, come on. Yeah, and uh, for example, vanguards, uh, as I mentioned, that they don't, I don't have all of them, uh, so yeah. I need to buy like many, many, many models, and I don't have dogs, and I don't have horses. Yeah. Well, basically, I don't have any new advent models, and yeah. uh, well, they work really well. Uh, Fortunately, they work really, really well, and that, that means that mech is not dead. But again, it's really difficult for me to convince myself to buy all of them at the moment. Yeah, so I think Marum brings up a good point in proxying. But I, uh, one thing we talked about today is I'd say a large percentage of your army right now is proxies. And um, you've got to like keep, and that's, that's a really good thing to do, to try out like a net list or something you think is going to be really strong. But also bear in mind, like, what are you actually going to be willing to build and paint? Because you don't want to be proxying your models forever. Opponents on a casual level will accept it a little bit for a while, but they'll expect you to have the proper models eventually. And in tournaments, obviously, you need to have the correct thing. Yeah. Um, so something we've talked about now is sort of Roman's built what he thinks is like the optimal ad list. And we've talked about now about winding it down a little bit and 
building something he thinks is going to be powerful with the models he has and then proxying one or two units and then maybe gradually adding them in if he if he's really confident of making the purchase because yeah it's great you can pro proxy like 70 percent of your army but if you're not willing to spend the time money and effort and honestly we recommend you don't right now um because of the points changes coming up in december which is going to be before any major tournaments happen mm -hmm. um you you don't want to spend all that time and money and then get disappointed and it's a lot of time and money that goes into building that many models so absolutely do what roman's been doing proxy a load of stuff see what you think is really cool and then take the f and then wind it back to build a list that you think you can actually reasonably build based on the models you have and proxy like two or three units at a time um, and see what is actually the real key ones that make a big difference and that will really help you make a good decision of what to buy yeah and again uh, later on you won't be that for you it won't be that much a surprise when uh for example, when we've been planning planning to buy like five or like seven or ten new units, and then there was a point change, but you didn't buy all of those units. Yeah. So point points change, and it's like, well, that's fine. I still can adjust. Yeah. Uh, while like if points change, it's like, okay, now we need to wait until those models are more or less good, and uh, like eventually, probably it will happen. Yeah. Uh, I've heard that uh, even rust stalkers, even rust stalkers. Uh, are useful right now in that mech armies, even though I still have no idea how, but I know that well, people are using them. Um, so, uh, in summary, um, it's sort of like experiment phase two now. Uh, you probably have a good idea of uh, the army that you have from the models that you have, but maybe proxy a few things or try a few units you've left on the shelf that you think might add a different dynamic to the army. Try putting things in reserves and uh, experiment a little bit with minor tweaks um, rather than a whole new army. Like I said, you probably have an idea of the army you want to play and the sort of build you're going for, but throwing those few little tweaks and you might be surprised. Like I was very reluctant to put cultists into the list, but I tried them out and actually I'm really, really happy I did because this made scoring secondary so, so much easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh, probably in the next game, I'm going to try the same tactics when I'm going to reserve more things and then uh, try to steal, try to finally steal objectives from you and not yeah. allow you to hold them anymore. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so we're coming to book recommendations now. I think, Roman, you have one ready to go. Yes, I have one. Uh, today is not going to be a Swedish book. Okay. Uh, today is going to be a, an American book. And uh, I usually try to not recommend any American books uh, or any American films or any American whatever. Why is that? Not because I don't like American culture, but just because we have a lot of it already. I mean, like, basically all the films that you watch, they made in Hollywood or in States in general. Pretty much all the games you play, they've been made in the United States as well. And the books, uh, most of them from the States as well. So I'm trying to find a, like a proper balance and recommend something that's, uh, that you barely could meet any, in any other way. But this time I failed. Uh, uh, I failed to something to find something not from states, and I'm going to recommend you from from American from American author, American novelist, whose name is John Langan. Uh, he doesn't have that many models, uh, that many novels, uh, to be honest. Uh, as far as I know, he has only two. Uh, the first one is called House of Windows, and another one, the one that I'm going to recommend, is called The Fisherman. So what the fisherman is? Well, basically, basically, I would say that probably fisherman is pretty much like a like a horror story, ish, or at least in general, it has all the attributes of the horror story. It has like some 
some horrible like prediction of the future and it also has some like ancient sorcery and like a, a curse as well and uh, big monsters that are coming from the deep of the sea but in general uh, like the, the plot is that two two friends uh, they both lost lost their advice and uh, they've been just trying to, to hold on somehow and they decided to go fishing and uh, at some point, uh, when they fish, they meet a monster who lives on the bottom of the sea. And that monster asks, like, what are they, what, what are they ready to sacrifice or what they're ready to do in order to bring their loved ones back to life? Uh, considering everything that I just noticed, ancient sorcery, monsters, and everything else, you, I, I can tell you can expect a pretty good horror story. Mm -hmm. uh, but why I think that this horror story is especially good because it's really difficult to be afraid for the whole like 400 pages or 300 pages. You can, afraid, you can be afraid in like a particular moment when the author tells you, oh, and then you're afraid. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, I think like in my opinion that John, uh, that John Langan actually makes a really good job here. So those, oh, like, I don't know, screams or whatever, they've been made in, in, in really good places. And uh, during those moments, you have like enough uh, scary, uh, I don't know, scary engine to keep you turning on the pages and pages and pages till you finish the story. So uh, I honestly think that is really good. And if you've been looking for some fear and horror, uh, not, not green dark universe, but still pretty grim, then you probably should check it out. Again, uh, John Langan, uh, Fisherman. Cool. Um, I'm gonna do a 40K book today. Uh, it's one that I haven't mentioned before. Uh, I read it back when it came out in 2003, when I was but 13 years old. And uh, it's called Angels of Darkness. Um, as uh, a Chaos player, I've always actually been really fascinated with the idea of the Fallen, which are the angels that Chaos back in the Horus Heresy. And um, Angels of Darkness follows a group of, a small group of dark angels. Um, who are going down to a planet to investigate an anomaly and while this is going on there's also an interrogator chaplain who's captured one of the fallen and is interrogating him about the situation that's happening and about what it means to be a fallen and trying to um, basically absolve him of his sins so he can execute him and send him to the afterlife in peace and that really captured my imagination back when i was 13 and it has just been re-released into uh, a, an omnibus called the mm -hmm. called the Knights of Caliban, Dark Angels Omnibus, with two other books, which I haven't read, um, called The Purging of Calidus and Asriel. And with uh, Dark Angels on the Horizon, I thought it was a good time to suggest a Dark Angels book. Um, but I actually think Angels of Darkness is a really cool um, book on its own. It's quite an easy read, and it will... Um, give you a real sort of understanding of one of the more niche areas of the 40k law of with with the way it explores the fallen which i think are very very interesting sub faction that hasn't been given much limelight because they've always had one special character who's cypher and one unit which is just an elite choice that can take plasma guns basically or other special <laughs> weapons but you, you take plasma guns um and uh with Dark Angels on the Horizon, this is a cool time to actually learn a bit more about the Fallen and explore like a niche area of the 40k law, which has a lot, a lot of depth to it in the law, but hasn't seen much representation on the on the tabletop. And 
hopefully if more people get interested in the fallen um they will actually get a bit more support and then i can finally have my fallen now my fallen angels army <laughs> so um <laughs> slight sort of uh, um bias for me there but i do think it's a really great book and i think it's an easy read and like i said a, a cool part of the law to explore so uh thank you very much for listening guys um as always uh if you have any questions comments thoughts uh reach out to us twitter's a good place to find us at warhammer wookies um send, send us a dm or tweet at us and um we will answer any questions and if it's uh something that peaks are really peaks our interest then we'll definitely talk about it here on the podcast yeah yeah so thank you again for listening and we will see you next week thank you very much guys bye bye